So Paul writes to them, Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The ESV says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. The New Living Translation says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And I'd like to preach for a little while on this theme, set free to stay free. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. You already get it. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want to ask you a question today. Should, uh, should Christians be patriotic? We are citizens of our earthly country, and we are citizens of a heavenly country. As citizens of heaven, our highest allegiance is to the biblical values and the sovereign rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live with heaven in view. And we guard against allowing our view of earthly kingdoms to obscure our hope in the eternal. We know that God is not an American. And the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. Only about four and a quarter percent of the world's population live in the United States of America. So if the kingdom of God was limited to our land, it would be a very small kingdom, you know, basically. The kingdom of God is global. It's interesting that while the United States have a, has a small percentage of the population of the world, it controls about 29% of the wealth of the world, $105 trillion compared to the second largest economy, China, with $63.83 trillion. We are the wealthiest country in the world, and I believe for a reason. We thank God for our country. And we work to make it a place that is hospitable to Christians and not hostile. God has blessed America because of its recognition of God's role in our country. The Bible is clear that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We're taught in the Bible to submit ourselves to governing authorities, that positions of authority in government have been placed there by God. This was not written to Americans. It was written to Christians all over the world. And so the Lord says in his word that anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. That authorities exist really to maintain peace. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. This is Romans 13. So you must submit to them. Pay your taxes too. Amen. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, giving respect and honor to those who are in authority. Jesus taught that we should render, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Paul taught us that we should pray and give thanks for all men, that we should pray for kings and all that are in authority, that we would lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now remember, the context was the Roman Empire when Paul penned these words, under the inspiration of the Spirit. For Paul said, we want to lead a quiet and peaceable life. 
This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. In other words, the motive for prayer is to have peace, that there would be an environment where people could be saved. There is a higher purpose of praying for our civic leaders, that they would be led to salvation, and that God would give us a culture that was conducive to revival. A God-fearing nation is a place where people can pray and where the lost can be saved. The Apostle Peter wrote about our submission to civil government. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, whether it be for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king is supreme or governors as them that are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers. For so this is the will of God, that you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, he said, but not using your liberty as a cover-up, as a cloak for maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. In heaven, there will be people who will be saved out of every nation under heaven. Revelation 7-9 tells us that it will be from all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues that will stand before the Lord. So no matter what nation you call home, you may be watching online today from a country outside of the United States or even Canada, but we should seek the good of the nation wherein we live with the goal of seeing people saved so that they could go to heaven. Amen. The Roman Empire played an important role in the early church. In the days of Jesus and also the years of the early years of the church, the Roman Empire ruled the world. Rome was not a godly nation, but it was by and large a nation of laws. When Jesus, Paul, and Peter taught to honor governing officials, the nation itself was not a godly nation. But there is a reason this was written in God's Word. God allowed Rome to rule. God was in God's plan. You may remember in the book of Daniel, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had of a statue, a metallic statue. And in that statue was a kingdom of iron that represented the Roman Empire. Nebuchadnezzar did not know that it would be Rome, but he saw it in his dream. And God allowed Rome to rule. Amen. The gospel was spread by traveling on paved Roman roads, by sailing on Roman controlled ships, by witnessing to Roman officials, including the ruling Caesar. Paul used his Roman citizenship to appeal to Caesar, and it was honored by the law. Roman citizens had rights. And our citizenship in the United States of America should always be secondary to our citizenship in heaven. But we should take advantage of our rights now to advance the cause of Christ in our world. We must never make our patriotism an idol. But we must see America as an instrument of God to advance God's work in the world. As the Lord told Abraham, you have been blessed to be a blessing. The United States has be, become a sending entity for world missions and a funder of missionary efforts all over the world. God blessed us to be a blessing. And on this 4th of July weekend, 
I want to remind you that we were set free to stay free. There's a segment of people in our culture today who are literally cursing the 4th of July, primarily because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. They say that the Supreme Court had trampled on reproductive rights. A t-shirt I saw said in a picture, keep your laws off my body. But we have another view of abortion, and that is about the life of the unborn child and that right to life. For the record today, I want to assure you that I'm not trying to pound the pulpit for political purposes. My objective is to preach the truth so that you will be free and stay free. Amen. My goal is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the advancement of the kingdom of God. So today I want to remind you of three things. First of all, that freedom is a principle. Secondly, that freedom is not free. And thirdly, that freedom is always under attack. Freedom is a principle. And on this extended 4th of July weekend, I want to talk to you about our national and spiritual freedom. Because freedom is based on principles. Principles make people. People do not make principles. Principles create prosperous nations. Prosperous nations do not create principles. And the story of America is a story of our forefathers forging a foundation upon which our nation was built. The birth of the United States of America is nothing short of a miracle. In the beginning, there was an early wave of resistance against Great Britain that became a tidal wave of public opinion calling for independence. When the initial battles of the Revolutionary War broke out in April of 1775, few colonists desired complete uh, independence from Great Britain, and those who did were considered to be radicals. But by the middle of the following year, in 1776, many more colonists had come to favor independence. The shift was due to a growing hostility against Britain and the spread of revolutionary sentiments such as those expressed in Thomas Paine's best-selling pamphlet called Common Sense that was published in early 1776. During the American Revolution, the legal separation of the 13 colonies from Great Britain officially occurred on July 2nd, 1776, when the Second Continental Congress voted to approve a resolution of independence that had been proposed in June by Richard Henry Lee of Virginia declaring the United States had been independent from the rule of Great Britain. After voting for independence, Congress turned its attention to the Declaration of Independence, a statement explaining the decision. It had been prepared by a committee of five, with Thomas Jefferson being its principal author. Congress debated and revised the wording of the Declaration, finally approving it on July 4, 1776. A day earlier, July 3, 1776, John Adams had written a letter to his wife Abigail. He said, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. He said, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. He said it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, shows, games, sports, guns, 
bells, bonfires, and illuminations that we call fireworks. From one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. He was bold in all of that, right? Well, John Adams was off by a couple of days because we celebrate July 4th as Independence Day. The motivation behind the move toward independence as a nation was the tyranny of Great Britain and specifically King George III. Referring to the tyrannical acts of Britain, the document declared, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right it is their duty to throw off such government. Let me pause to say that their vocabulary was a lot more extensive than ours. We think that we're smarter than them, but we're probably not. Much of the Declaration of Independence was a bill indicting, accusing King George III of some 30 offenses, some constitutional, some legal, and some matters of policy. The combined charges against the king were intended to demonstrate a history of repeated injuries, all having the object of establishing the fact that there was an absolute tyranny over America. The Declaration of Independence contains a preamble with the famous lines that go like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Let me pause to say that they recognize the creator and that we were created in his image and after his likeness. With whatever flaws they had, they recognized that there is a God in heaven who created them and they believed that we were created e equal. Notwithstanding the early history of slavery that was overcome, it was not a perfect union, it was more perfect but they believed and wrote that we are endowed by our Creator, by our Creator, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence closes with the commitment by the signers. They said, and for the support of this declaration, but they firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The Declaration of Independence weaves together philosophy, theology, and political history that is rooted both in the American mind and the American experience. The Declaration of Independence is a secular document, but it appeals to God for its authority to establish a country of freedom of one nation under God. God is mentioned or referred to four times in three capacities. As the legislator or the executive of everything. As the supreme judge of the world and his guardian by his divine providence. There's much more rich history that we could talk about and love and should appreciate but I want to draw an important application for us today that while the Declaration of Independence is not an infallible document like the Bible, there is something that we need to know and remember is that people do not make principles, but principles make people. And right now, your life 
is either being guided by principles or by pressures or by convenience. And today I want to call you to establish your life on principles that do not change. For if you live by principles, you will live a sound, solid life and no eternal life. God gave us principles to live by in His Word. And the prosperity of America is not because we are more special than anyone else in the world that we should hold so much wealth compared to those who are equal to us all over the globe. But the prosperity of America is based on the premise of the Declaration of Independence that our founding is right. Amen. I would remind you that in spite of the moral demise of many in our land, that in the history of the world, if you go back to what God spoke to Abraham, he spoke of the iniquity of the Amorites that would take almost 500 years for God to judge. So often the wheels of God's judgment grind exceedingly slow, but exceedingly fine. We may be living in borrow, on borrowed time in America, but our foundation was founded on a recognition of God. And if we will return to that, if we will humble ourselves and pray and turn to God and seek His face, He will forgive our sins and heal our land. It was this declaration that shaped the nation, not the other way around. So today, while we celebrate freedom, that we enjoy as Americans. We must acknowledge that the future of our nation rests on our adherence to the principles that made it great. It doesn't mean that you need to embrace every event, every act, or every decision. But a nation that is built on righteousness and an acknowledgement of God has a foundation that can last if that foundation is maintained. We say, God bless America, that's our hope. But our prayer is God forgive America so God can bless America. Amen. To you, your life is either built on the sand of shifting cultural values or your life is being built on the rock, the solid principles of God's word. We teach and preach the Bible at this church may not always be fancy, but it's fundamental and it is sound. Because we know by principle and by experience that when you build your life on obedience to God's word, you are building on a foundation that can never be shaken. We are part of an unshakable kingdom, not in America, but of heaven. And nothing can take away your faith. No anarchy, no overthrow of a political system can rob you of your faith. For our brothers and sisters that live in oppressed nations, love God, fear God, and serve Him often more diligently than we. Amen. Your success in time and eternity will be determined by what shapes you. If culture is shaping your values, and the decisions that spring from those values, then you are headed for moral and spiritual shipwreck if public opinion and a desire to be politically correct is shaping you, then you will become a misshapen mess. If peer pressure is shaping you, then you will become like a chameleon that changes colors 
to match its surroundings. But if you anchor your life in the principles of the Bible, you will have good success. That is what the Lord told Joshua in Joshua 1 and 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, after you do that, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So I want you to know today that life must be built on principles, that truth and freedom is anchored in principles. Jesus said in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Remember, principles build people, and principles build nations. And when a nation is built on righteous principles, that nation will be exalted with success and prosperity. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Our nation is blessed if Jesus Christ is the Lord of our nation. Psalm 33, 12 said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. We know that freedom is anchored in principles and that principles make you free. The second thing I want to show you today is that freedom is costly. It comes at a high price. And the liberty that we enjoy as a citizen of our country was bought by the blood of men and women who paid the ultimate price, gave the greatest sacrifice. The spiritual liberty that we have came by the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God did just not declare us free. He died so that we could be free. And then our justification based on his death, burial, and resurrection was a declaration over our soul that has been born again. Freedom is the most costly thing that we possess. And our national freedom, I want to remind you on this 4th of July weekend, was set forth in a document of principles called the Declaration of Independence. But the price that was paid for that freedom by many noble souls, including the signers of that declaration themselves, purchased our freedom. The 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence were not wild-eyed radicals. They were not crazy men. They were educated and prosperous men. Their average age was 45. The oldest was Benjamin Franklin at 70. The youngest was Thomas Lynch at 27. Seven of these men had been educated at Harvard. Four at Yale and William and Mary. Three at Princeton. John Witherspoon was the president of Princeton. George White was a professor at William and Mary, where his students included many of the signers, including Thomas Jefferson. The 56 signers made a costly commitment. They knew that they were not merely signing their names to a philosophical treatise. They were standing up to the most powerful man and nation in the world, Britain's well-armed military might. They knew when they signed that they would pay the price they put their names and their lives on the line. When they wrote, we mutually pledged to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. It was not an anonymous document 
It was signed by men who said, we stand here and we will die here. Let me just say right now, if you're not willing to put your name on the line, if you want to complain anonymously to anyone, if you're not willing to stand up for what you say you believe, then you don't really believe what you say. They put their lives on the line. They put their fortunes on the line. They put their sacred honor on the line. John Hancock, president of the Second Continental Congress, he signed the Declaration of Independence with large letters. And he attributed it, he is attributed as saying, There, His Majesty can now read my name without glasses. And he can double the reward for my head. There's a document that circulates annually. I haven't seen it this year. There's a story of the destiny or fate, some would say, of the 56 signers. I've spoken about this several years ago. But I felt like I should rehearse it again to you just as we rehearse important things in the life of a church. Uh, the, the Heritage Foundation has preserved what I think is a trustworthy account of the consequences the 56 signers face. Amen. And I want to sear it into our national consciousness. 17 of the signers served in the military during the American Revolution. And I won't go through all of their names, but they served with rigor there. Five of the signers were captured by the British during the war. Colonel Thomas McKean of Delaware and wrote that John Adams, that he was, or wrote to John Adams that he was hunted like a fox, had to move his family multiple times, moved in a cabin, had to move again. Abraham Clark had two sons captured. The son of John Witherspoon uh, died in a battle of Germantown. Eleven of the signers had their homes and properties destroyed. John Hart's farm and mills and, uh, were taken away and he died while, while fleeing capture. Carter Braxton, Thomas Nelson, both of Virginia, lent large sums of their personal fortunes to support the war, the war effort but were never repaid. Let me pause here to say that these men were successful under British rule. They probably did not have a personal motivation to be a free nation because many of them lost everything in the fight for freedom. So I want to remind you that freedom never has been and never will be free. That freedom comes at the cost of great sacrifice. And that is why on this 4th of July weekend, we pause to thank God that we do live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. With our faults and our flaws, Amen. With what is going on in our country now, as it has been throughout the generations, we still have a premise. We have a foundation that is right. And by prayer and by standing on what is right, we pray that God would let our nation always be a place where people can be saved and from which the gospel can be preached, where we can send missionaries around the world and we can send millions and millions of dollars to other countries so that people can know spiritual freedom who live in a land of oppression. We pray God bless America. That God would stand beside us and God would guide us through the night with the light from above. We pray for God to save and heal our nation. And we, I, our family, we proudly wave the flag. It is not the substance of freedom, 
but it is the symbol of freedom. And we say, God, please forgive America. As I said earlier, so God can bless America. So today, while we are celebrating our national freedom, I want to also say that there is a correlation to the church, that we were once slaves to sin and to Satan. But praise God, our freedom was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets who preached this gospel, who laid down their lives, who are not afraid of imprisonment and martyrdom. We are alive today in the gospel of Jesus Christ, spiritually alive because of the price they prayed. And Jesus said, if the Son, in John 8, 36, therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And Paul said, the, e the English Standard Version, I, I love this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So today I want to remind you that freedom is built on principles. And that freedom is not free. But thirdly, I want you to know that freedom is always under attack. When you wake up in the morning tomorrow, probably when you leave church today, there is a devil. Amen. And he wants to destroy your soul. He might like to take away your national freedom so you could be oppressed. But people in oppressed countries are often stronger than we are in our commitment to faith. So it is not national freedom that ensures spiritual freedom. Amen. Praise God. In the same way that our nation was forged in the crucible of conflict, our spiritual soul was forged in a conflict like that. And our nation, our nation now, is only as secure as it is strong. The Declaration of Independence is that our nation would celebrate with fireworks, unhealthy hot dogs, cookouts in sweltering heat. But all of that will take place under the watchful eye of Homeland Security. I read a lengthy release from Homeland Security whose job is to ensure a homeland that is safe, secure, and resilient against terrorism and other hazards. This was a bulletin released on June 7, 2022. And I had it in my notes, but deleted most of it for the sake of time. The United States, they say, remains in a heightened threat environment. And you know that when we let down our guard, when lethargy and apathy and the feeling that it will never happen here takes place in our land, we are most vulnerable. When we think we stand, that's when we fall. When you're in the sleepy town of Uvalde, Texas, and you think it can never happen here, then it happens there. And our country is always under attack. The fabric of American freedom has been under attack in more subtle and subversive ways for over 50 years through secular humanistic education, by the removal of prayer and Bible reading in public education, by the legalization of abortion, by the sanctioning of same-sex marriage, by the weakening of our military. We've been conditioned by the steady stream of messages that are eroding the principles upon which our freedom is founded. 
And it's likewise, the fabric of Christianity is unraveling at an alarming rate. This happens by people who are discarding the message of separation from the world and practical holiness that we live in a land of blend, that you're okay and I'm okay, and whatever you teach is okay as long as you love Jesus. There's reducing the salvation experience to a mere decision instead of a true born-again experience of repentance from sins and water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. When you water that message down, there is not true conversion. There is only mental accept. There are churches that accept people as fellow believers who live lives in opposition to biblical principles. There are entire religious denominations that ordain immoral people to places of ministry. I preached about it Friday night in an anniversary service at my home church. But they ordain priests of the lowest people to the highest places. The ministry is a character calling. And we need to make sure that we ensure that those who are godly lead our churches and lead our nation. When push comes to shove, their pastors and churches so-called Christians who allow the pressure, they bow to pressure, and they allow the norms of culture to become their credo for Christianity. In other words, instead of letting the Bible speak to their life, they let life speak to the Bible. Instead of letting the Bible guide their lives, they twist the Scriptures to make them say what they want them to say and not what they really say. I've told you that freedom is based on principles and that freedom comes at a price and that freedom is under attack. And today I charge you as a Bible-believing Christian to never water down the Word of God. Never compromise your convictions. You are set free to stay free. There's an accelerated pace of attack on religious liberty today. There's come a great divide between confessing churches and compromising churches. Compromising core values for fear of being stigmatized or persecuted or losing influence in culture. But today, I believe all across our nation and around the world, there's an army of believers who are rising up, who are standing firm for freedom that realize just because you were set free does not mean you will remain free. But that was Paul's message to the Galatian church. You were set free so you could stay free. Amen. That you would not be bound by the things of the past, that you would be set free. So today I want to remind you that people do not make principles, that principles make people. Amen. That freedom is always under attack. Amen. Inscribed on the northeast portico of the Jefferson Memorial. There are these words. Can the liberties of a nation be secure? We have removed the conviction that these liberties are the gift of God. Indeed, he said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Patrick Henry, who is founding father, famous for his words, give me liberty or give me death. He also said, it is when people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Freedom is always under attack. Darkness is always intent 
on extinguishing the light. This assault in the natural, national realm is also in the spiritual realm. And this is the heart of what Paul was writing to the church in Galatia. They've been established on the freedom of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. That there was an assault against them. False teachers from the province of Judea came to these newly formed Christians and churches. They were trying to tell them that grace plus law equals salvation. That they had to go back and practice the ordinance of the ceremonial law. They weren't just teaching the core commands of the law of love God and your neighbor is yourself. They were mandating adherence to ceremonial laws, practices like circumcision and others. These Judaizers came on the scene and they preached that the revelation was only through Moses and that they had to submit to the law of Moses if they were going to perfect their relationship with God. Paul was incensed that these false teachers, he was marveled that the Galatians were so quickly and easily converted back or deceived, not converted, but changed back. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another. He said, there are some who are troubling you. They're perverting the gospel. He said, but if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Paul explained to them that the law of Moses was for a limited time, for a limited purpose, that they did not need to submit to the ceremonial law, that they should live lives that were surrendered to Jesus Christ. He responded to this threat in our text today in Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and let us not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This is a fascinating verse of Scripture in the Bible. In the original language, there are four Greek words. We would say five for us in English. Freedom, you, Christ, set free. In other words, Paul was saying, for freedom, Christ set you free. He set you free so you would stay free. He was admonishing them, don't let anything overthrow your faith. Don't let anything undermine your belief in God. Don't let anything take you back. Whether it is legalism to the law, whether it is some cheap doctrine that is preached, we are free at last to stay free. Paul declared that the purpose of what Jesus Christ did on the cross was to make us free, to set us free. We are free from the law. We are free from sin. We are free from eternal death. And these freedoms Paul taught had responsibilities or obligations to maintain that freedom. You were set free so that you could stay free. This freedom that set us free was not freedom to do what you want, but freedom to do what God wants you to do. This freedom is the power to do what you should do. Shackles of sin were broken in our lives by the cross of Jesus Christ. And we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have become servants of God. The responsibility that freedom is under attack, and we maintain our spiritual freedom by standing in the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free and not being entangled again to anything that would tie us down or tie us up. Amen. The deception 
that had been taught in Galatia caused many people to turn aside from the faith. Easily and quickly turned aside from following Jesus Christ. They were bewitched. They were foolish. Starting in the spirit, trying to be made perfect in the flesh. They were estranged from Jesus Christ. They were hindered from obeying the truth. But Paul said again in Galatians 5 and 1, New Living Translation this time, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. So today I weave the national and spiritual narrative together that I pray that God would help us maintain our freedom as a country. That 246 years ago at our founding, we cherish our national freedom and we pray that America finds its way back to God. But much more consequential than our national freedom is our spiritual freedom. You were set free to stay free. So Paul would tell the Galatians, you must walk in the Spirit so you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh and that if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I want to borrow the words that were spoken by President Calvin Coolidge on the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. It's a magnificent speech given on July 5th. He said, speaking of the principles behind the Declaration, he said, a spring will cease to flow if its source be dried up. A tree will wither if its roots be destroyed. And its main features, he said, the Declaration of Independence is a great spiritual document. It is a declaration not of material, but of spiritual conceptions, equality, liberty, popular sovereignty, the rights of man. These are not elements which we can see and touch. He said they are ideals. They have their source and their roots in the religious convictions. He said they belong to the unseen world. Unless the faith of the American people and these religious convictions is to endure, the principles of our declaration will perish. He said we cannot continue to enjoy the result if we neglect and abandon the cause. So I join the words of Paul to the church of Galatia today. In a reminder, Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again to yoke of bondage. If you have been set free, then stay free.